What's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? You made it to church. We're so glad that you're with us today. Can we welcome everybody that's with us online, too? Let's thank them for being with us. If you are with us on Facebook Live, we're just glad that you're part of our family and uh, part of our online community. We'd love it if you would share the post on Facebook or anybody here with your friends and just let people know what's happening here uh, in Eagle River and allow them to kind of join with us uh, in community this morning. So if you're new, welcome to ACF. We're really glad that you're here. You're coming in at the end of a series called Human Steeple. And you guys, listen, first service was on fire. I'm telling you what, like literally our stage was on fire. One of these candles. Um, it's like tipped over and lit the stage on fire. So church is fun sometimes. Um, but anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, basically what this day is about. Today is an oftentimes missed holiday of the church. It's called Pentecost Sunday. And so you see a lot of people wearing red today. Red is a symbol of fire. We've got a lot of candles on the stage. Uh, also, just, just providing this, this symbology of fire uh, for the church. And fire throughout the Bible is this symbol of God's active presence in the church. And, and we see this throughout the Bible. We see in Exodus where uh, Moses encounters the burning bush, you know, and remember that he just, he can't even look at the bush because it's the presence of God. Uh, we see that um, when, when Jesus returns, it's talked about that Jesus is going to have these eyes of blazing fire. Uh, we know that when John prophesied that Jesus would, would baptize us, he would baptize us with the Spirit and with fire. And then as we read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and appears uh, to the church in tongues of fire. And then these believers, these early believers, begin to speak in these other tongues and dialects that they didn't even know. And the people in the community saw this happen and heard it happen and were compelled to come find some answers. And so uh, this is really what we celebrate today. And, and, and the, the journey has been from Easter Sunday. Now today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost means 50 days after Easter Sunday, after the resurrection. And so that's what we celebrate today as we close out this series. And, and, and basically the discussion we want to get to uh, today is how serious do you want to take this? I mean, really, how far do you want to go with this whole idea that God lives within you? And how far do you want to go with your faith? Uh, what does it look like for you to actually believe? And this is, for me, is what I've been praying about this message this week and, and where we're going as a church. I just keep thinking about and getting excited about what it would look like if a whole gathering of people really believed what the Bible said. And what it would look like if a whole gathering of people really believed that God himself, the same spirit, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, actually lives within his people. Like, wouldn't that change absolutely everything about our lives and so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go to a couple of different passages. The first, uh, speaking about uh, what it means to take this whole thing seriously. The second is in the book of Acts as we, we see the birthing of the, the, the early church and how this affects us today. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the black ones in the seat in front of you, or uh, you can follow along on our ACF Church app online uh, with, with that as well. So... Let's begin here in chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So, so throughout the Bible, this idea of fire is, is a refining 
Um, it's a refining thing. And so basically there's this idea that if, there's, if you apply fire to something, if you know anything about metals, if you apply fire to metal, it will burn away the impurities in the metal. And in the same sense, fire, the presence of God, does that in our lives. And so basically what he's speaking about is, is judgment. And now judgment is not a really fun word. It's not a, a, a com- conversation we really gravitate towards. We often resist judgment, right? Uh, in fact, we say things like that, like, don't you judge me. You can't judge me. None of us want to be judged. But we have to talk about judgment a little bit this morning. You're like, ah, oh, is this one of those kinds of church? Yes, yes, we are. We're those, one of those kinds of churches in the sense that we want to talk about the day that we all stand before God. Because we do believe that. We believe that everybody one day will stand before God and God will show our lives for what they actually are. And everything that is untrue, everything that is fake or false about our lives will be burned away. And the only thing left will be what is true and what is real. And for some of us, we're like, I don't know how much is going to be left, right? When that actually happens, that's the thing. We need to think about this day that's coming. And, and when I thought about this this week, as I was reading this, I was thinking, it is just madness that any of us would wait till the day we die to receive God's judgment. It, it is just madness that we would be like, well, I hope that day comes a long time from now, but I'm just going to act like it's never going to happen. What we do as the church is we look to God and we say, God, no, judge my faith now. I want you to judge my life now. Now, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? It's not something many of us gravitate towards, but it's something that I think we all need to do. This word judgment is the word krino in the Bible, which simply means to to separate what is false from what is true. I think the reason that we resist judgment is because we've never really met a truly just judge. We, we know that our friends and our family, like if they were to judge us, they would probably do it poorly, right? They could do their best, but for the most part, when we experience judgment, we resist it, and it grates at us because we don't, we don't think that people judge us rightly, but God himself, he is a just judge. God sees our lives for what they really are. And so I want to ask you this question, how seriously do you want to take your faith? Because if you want to take it seriously, the first thing we do is we look to God and say, God, judge my faith, is it real? Like, is it true? Do I actually believe the stuff that I'm saying I believe? Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, if, if it, if it surpri- survives any of it, he will receive a reward, which is a whole other conversation of what that reward looks like, whether in this life or the next, there is reward for our obedience to God. In verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. This is such an interesting statement. Listen, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Isn't that interesting? Now, some of you are like, huh, this is a new opportunity. I didn't realize this was an option, that you could actually, like, get to the very end, and everything that you do gets burned up in the fire, and you kind of squeak by into eternity. I mean, I'm just picturing, like, Chuck Norris at the end of Delta Force. There's, like, an explosion, and you're just, like, slow motion, running from the flames into it. And some of you are thinking, that's, that's what I've been going for, Brian. That's what I'm shooting for. And like, so Josh is our family pastor. He knows this. Every year we do like a, a message with, with students, a series about sex, and we talk about physical boundaries and things like that. When I, when I used to be the youth pastor, I would always have this box uh, that I would ask them to put questions, which was always fun with high school students, questions about sexuality in the box. And every single year, I would get the same question. How far is too far? 
how far is too far, right? That's because this is a reflection of who we are. We want to get as close to the fire as we can without getting burned, right? And I feel like that's how we are with God many times. It's like, God, I want my salvation. I don't want to go to hell. Don't burn me up. You can burn my stuff up. Don't burn me up. But God, I want to get as close as possible without actually fully engaging my life in following you. There's some fear that, man, what if, what if my life is worse? What if I lose things that I wanted? What if he takes things away? But as, as you mature in your faith, what you start to believe is that God just has the best things for you. You, just, you start to believe that he's a loving father, that he actually does care, and that in the end your life is better and fuller and more purposeful, and you will die having a history of done things that matter. I think we start to believe those things at the end. Okay, so you can be saved, but only as through fire. Kind of a dangerous place if you want to walk that line. Like, okay, I'm going to do as little as possible, try to power slide into eternity. Verse 16, do you not know, and this is, I think, a key passage for this whole series, that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So Paul wants to, to, to help the church in Corinth as much as the church in Eagle River know that you are where God's Spirit dwells. And that if God is truly in you, that when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God is inside of you, then He will change your desires. And that there will be a different types, a type of works that your life provides. There is an extreme change that happens when God's Spirit comes into His people. It's not a minor thing. It's major things. Your life shifts. Your perspective shifts. Your desires shift. And so I just want you to start off by, even in your heart right now, asking God, God, judge my heart. Do I really want this? I know maybe you're a little afraid. Maybe you're a little scared. What would it look like if the Holy Spirit really began to take over in my life? And I, and I ask for him to do that. Maybe you're a little afraid of that, but I want you today to consider doing it. Our natural question, you can write that, this down, is how far do I have to go? Uh, we all want to ask that question. How, how far do we really have to go with this? What must I really do to be saved, God? Can I do as little as possible? This is just plain the wrong question, isn't it? This is like the how far is too far question. And it's a strange question to ask when you have been transformed by God, when God has taken your dead heart and given you a, a living heart, when he has saved you out of your sin. I mean, this isn't the kind of question that like an orphan who's been adopted by a loving father asks, right? I mean, if you didn't have a father and you were given a father, taken out of this place and given a family, you wouldn't be like, well, how much do I have to do so you know that I care about you, right? But, but that's who we are. We are orphans. We are lost. We are sinners deserving of those flames. And yet Jesus saves us out of that by nothing good that we've done, but only because of what he's done for us. A far better question is this, how faithful can I be? How faithful can I be to what God has put in my heart? How faithful can I be to the gifts that he wants to give me? To every square inch of ground that he's given me an opportunity to serve in? How faithful can I be to this church that I'm sitting in today? To this community that I'm a part of? How faithful can I be to my marriage? To my kids? To my friendships? To my teachers at school? How faithful can I be? It's a better question, isn't it? Like, that's a better, there's more vision in that question. And you know when somebody asks that question that they get it. And that they're taking this seriously, that they want to take some steps forward. 
Luke 16, 10, you guys probably know this. Jesus says those who are trusted uh, and faithful with little will be trusted with much, right? I mean, it first starts off, are you being faithful with what's right in front of you, with the things that he's given you and the people that are around you? Are you starting with what you have and saying, God, how do I be faithful to this? Because I think he wants to give you more ground. And I think he wants to give you more opportunities and, and new gifts and new chances to show your faith to the world. Okay, so that is just a foundation for this. Open up to Acts chapter 2. We've we kind of danced around this passage throughout this series, and we're going to land a little farther on than we've gone. We've talked about the moment that the tongues of fire came upon the church just a few weeks ago. If you weren't here, you can watch that sermon. But the, 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 the church was then empowered by the Spirit, and people spoke in tongues. And, and if you remember right, there was this criticism from the crowd. And they were like, I don't know what's going on, but I think they're wasted, right? I think they're drunk. This can't be real. Some people were absolutely compelled by it, and, and, and they, were, they, they wanted to know more about it, and, and God's Spirit was working on them in such a way that they were responding to Him. And others were like, I don't know, I think they're just drunk. And so, so Peter then stands up, and he, he makes this response. He's like, they ain't drunk, it's only 9 a.m., Right? Which, I don't know if that argument holds water in Alaska, right? Because it's like, it's always light. Anyway, so they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. This is the Spirit of God working in the church. Then Peter stands up and he gives this sermon, which we don't have time to go through. But it's considered the the first Christ-based Christian sermon preached. This is Peter's, his opportunity to step up in ministry just, you know, 50 days before or a little bit more. He was denying Christ and now here he is preaching Christ. A, a serious transformation in this man's life. He was, he was driven by fear and insecurity, and now here he is standing up in front of all these people, putting his life at risk and saying, you know what, we, uh, we missed it. Jesus is the Messiah. He is true. He is real, and he wants to come in to your life. Okay, so Acts 2, verse 36. Let's start this off. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know, this is how he ends his sermon, therefore know for certain that God has made him being Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter lays out this entire, you know, this, this sermon about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel, and he just, he makes it so clear that Jesus is the Messiah. And he ends his sermon by just getting real with this crowd. There are thousands of people listening to Peter, and he goes, this man, this Jesus was both Lord and Christ. And then he he, he throws in this like little jab. This Jesus whom you crucified, right? Now, now, just imagine you're in this crowd, right? Some of these people, we don't know who they were or where they were from. They were there for the party, right? They were there for this, this festival of harvest. And so here's Peter like, like criticizing them, saying, you killed Jesus. And you know somebody there was like, I was fishing when they killed Jesus, Right? I was camping when they killed Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't even know what this whole party's about. My buddy brought me here. I heard there'd be food. I am just here for the party. And you know, you're, you're, you're telling me that I killed Jesus. You know, listen, this is the same, the same thing we talk about every single Easter. We, every single Easter, we get up and we say, listen, I know Jesus is alive, but we have to slow down and stop and think about why did Jesus have to die? And we know that as a church and as God's people, all of us are guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory, glory of God. This is Peter's point, is that maybe you didn't stick the spikes in his hand. Maybe you didn't pin him up on the cross. Uh, maybe you didn't shove the, the sword into his side. 
but you killed Jesus. And you know there was resistance to it, that people were like, I don't know, I just don't feel responsible. But then there were others in this crowd who didn't do all of those things. They didn't physically put Jesus on the the cross, but they were responding to this truth. Peter loves them enough to tell them a truth about themselves. This is, this is what God does. This is what I feel like it's my job to do, is every week for us to just go, let's be honest about who we are. We killed Jesus. This is Peter's message to them. It's the same message to us. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love that they heard this and were cut to the heart. You just think about, this is, I would say a, a good term for this would be conviction. This is when you hear things like, you're guilty and you killed Jesus, and instead of resisting it or fighting it, you feel conviction because you know that it's true. And many in this crowd, they were cut to the heart about this. Now, when it says they, they were cut to the heart, remember there, there's thousands of people listening to Peter. What I want you to know is they is not everybody. They are not the whole crowd. They are a portion of the crowd. And we're going to see that they're going to respond in a few minutes. But they are not everybody. There is always a portion of the crowd that is not cut to the heart. There's always a portion of the crowd that's like, I didn't kill Jesus, not guilty. I'm not guilty. I don't need a Savior. I'm good enough on my own, right? And so we know that there's a portion of this crowd, but many who are cut to the heart and receive this conviction. Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So they ask, what do we do? I love that they don't just say, well, what do we, just, what do we believe? They say, what do we do? We killed Jesus. How do we respond? It's like you hear this. They need, there needs to be something that they do about this. So Peter says, it's, it's pretty simple. The first thing is you repent. We spoke about this, this before. The word repent is, is the word metanoia in the Bible. Meta meaning change. Noia meaning mind. So repentance isn't just to do something different. Go get your life together. Go fix all the jacked up portions of your life and then come back. No, he says, Repent which is to change your mind about Jesus, to think differently. You thought that he was just this crazy man. No, he's the Messiah. He's your Savior. And you killed him. Repent. Think differently about Jesus. Oh yeah, and be baptized. There's something else to do. It's not just this belief in your mind, this cerebral thing. It's also a physical thing. You go and you show people. My life has changed. And so we do this as a church. We baptized often at ACF Church because we want to give you a chance to physically show the, the community that you're a part of, listen, my faith isn't simply this internal thing. It's an external thing. It's a holistic thing. It changes everything about my life. And my first way of showing that is to go get dunked in front of everybody. And it's scary and a little uncomfortable, but you do it because your faith is real as a symbol of what God has done in your heart. He says, go, get baptized, repent. Receive forgiveness. And I love that he says this. He says, for the promise is for you. It's for your children. And it's for all who are far off. It's for everyone. This promise, this opportunity. He just said, you're guilty. Well, that's scary news. But the gospel is true that Jesus saves through our guilt. 
And that, that this opportunity for salvation is for all people. So wherever you come from, whatever you've done, you need to know this in this room. This is for you. If you came in here and your buddy brought you and you don't know anything about this, this is for you. If you've been in the church for your entire life and your faith has never taken a step from simply being this, this belief, this thing that you think you believe, to this real life-changing, life-transforming thing, if you've never done that, then this is for you. It's for everybody in the room. Verse 40, and with many other words, essentially Peter said a lot more than this, right? His sermon was a little bit longer than just these few verses. You're like, Brian, you preach way too long. Peter did it in like 16 verses. So it was longer than that. In many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. What'd they do? They were like, baptize me. Let's do this. We don't need to wait. I don't need to go, you know, think about it. You just, you said this is what we do. We get baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a powerful moment, right? Now, now for me as a pastor, like the first impulse is like Peter preached an amazing sermon, right? Wow, I don't know like where Peter went to school to preach, you know, I don't know how much time he spent working on what he was going to say that day, you know, did Peter steal that offline? Like where did Peter get that sermon? Because it was pretty good. 3,000 people got saved. It wasn't Peter, was it? This is what the Spirit does is he convicts hearts and he changes lives and he causes people to enter from death into life into empowerment to be used by God and that's what happened. That's what happened in that moment. 3,000 souls were saved. I want you to just even, as Americans in the church, think about this for a second. Because what he didn't say, and I'm going to talk about this for a second, is that 3,000 people prayed the prayer, or 3,000 people raised their hands. He says 3,000 people's lives were legitimately transformed by the gospel. Now, maybe you're like, Brian, I raised a hand and my life was legitimately transformed. I hope it was. But what I want to tell you is those things in and of themselves do not necessarily mean salvation. This is 3,000 people who said, I believe that this is real. I believe that God is at work. This is not just they went to church and they prayed on Sunday. This is people whose lives were changed. Because there is a difference, right? Right? Which is why we are after, as a church, transformed hearts. Changed hearts. And we occasionally will say, hey, if you want to receive Jesus, you can raise a hand. If you want to receive Jesus, you can, you know, pray with us. And that's a great thing to do. And I got nothing against churches that do that every single week. But what I want you to know is that those things in and of themselves do not mean salvation. You can raise your hand all day long, and maybe you just got a question. But it don't mean that you're saved, Right? What, what, what salvation is, is that you've received the truth, and it's you've, rece- you've been cut to the heart, and you've said, I need Jesus, because I'm guilty. And you've received his grace, okay? Verse 42, and they devoted themselves, this is what they did, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now that's cool, right? This is my opportunity, right? As a pastor, this is, this is the verse, this is my chance to be like, go to church, Right? Um, I love when it comes up in the passage. It, this is simply what happened. Is they said, being in community matters. That's what happens. You get saved, and you got all these people around you. They're saved too, and you're kind of in this boat together. 
and you, you realize we should do this a lot. We should, we should get together. We should make sure we, we're, we're, we're growing, hearing the word preached. I love that it talks about fellowship and the breaking of bread, communion, and even eating together, doing it all in the name of Jesus. That's a great thing to do. And this is a great reminder for us as a church as we get busy this sum- summer, and I know you will be, and, and you've got a lot going on, that you would be devoted to being a part of a faith community. Whether it's here or somewhere else, wherever you go, that you be part of a faith community. And this is what they did naturally. I don't know if this was in, in Peter's sermon or not. But for them, they knew, this is, my life is transformed. I've got to be around people who are, who are dealing with this too. I've got to be around people who are like, okay, uh, he just said the Spirit of God is in me, but I still have these tendencies that are pretty messed up. And I'm trying to figure out how to live this life out. I need to be around people who do that. You know, a few, uh, I guess it was, it was maybe a year ago or something, we went and started putting messages online. And one of our fears was, would people just kind of skip church and watch Facebook, you know? Would people just, you know, like skip this gathering? And while there is, there's a great opportunity there, many people in our church are deployed or, you know, out of state. And, and, and so it's a great chance to stay connected. What you cannot get from a computer screen is fellowship. What you cannot get is relationship. What you cannot get is encouragement right there. And so what I want you to know is that this, what we do here on Sunday morning, is important. It's valuable. It's good for you. It's good for your families. Lead your kids in this. If you want them to be people who make going to church and being part of a faith community a priority, then you've got to do it. You've got to show them that this matters. And guys, listen, this isn't because I need more people to preach to. You guys are awesome, and you're really good about being here, but you got to know that this is one of the signs that our hearts have been transformed, that we want to be with other people whose hearts have been transformed, and we want to grow together. And it says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And this word awe throughout most of the Bible is actually translated fear. There's this holy fear that came about them, because that's what happens when you stand in the presence of a holy God acknowledging your sin is there's sort of like this I don't deserve to be here thing I think we all to some extent should should be here on Sunday morning and gathering in the name of Jesus knowing that he's here with us saying I don't deserve to be here I got no right to be here God I know what I thought uh, this week I know what I did this week I know where I've been in the rest of my life I do not deserve to be here yes yet I am and yet God loves me and his grace is sufficient for me And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The Holy Spirit continued to move in the people and in the leaders. And and, and as that happened, their faith was growing. Because these people were like, we want everything that God has for us. We want to be operating in the power of the Spirit. Awe came upon, once again, when it says every soul, it doesn't mean everybody in the crowd. Because there were people standing in the corner criticizing. There are people like, this is just a show. I don't know what's going on here. These are magic tricks. There's nothing authentic about this. But for at least 3,000 people, they were cut to the heart and their lives were changed. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. That's cool. They hung out together and all, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You just see, like, the church is born 
in this chapter in the book of Acts. The church has borne thousands of people together, which if you've got an got a issue with big churches, here we go. This is a 3,000-plus 3, member church gathering in Jerusalem. And what do they do? They start just selling their stuff. Like, hey, do you have a need? I'm going to get rid of my stuff and give it to you. Once again, these are, these are things that people who are, have transformed hearts do. These are, are things that people who are led by God's Spirit do. They just act generously. It, it just flows from them naturally. And people didn't have needs because the people around them were meeting those needs. They, they had generous hearts. Once again, they were, they were being generous and they had generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And this is cool. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it didn't end at the 3,000. This church kept growing. This is what happens when, 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 a, when a group of people receive the Holy Spirit, when they really believe this stuff, when, when they really want everything God has to offer, and they step forward in that, they begin to act generous and giving and loving, and the community starts to notice and they start to look in, and then people continue to come. And it's not for the show, it's not for the thing, it's for the God that they are worshiping. They see that it's real. They see that God is real. And once again, you guys, this is not every church in America, but this is some churches where there is such a movement of the Spirit in these people that the community around them starts to notice, and they want to know what's going on, and they show up and they see, maybe they stand in the corner for a little while casting stones, but then at some point they see that these people are the real deal, and this God that they worship, He is true, and He is real. So I just, I, I read this, and I was like, what would it look like for us to take this seriously? Now, we, we read in, in the book of Acts all kinds of things. And there's certainly like some tension in the church whether uh, the book of Acts is just descriptive or prescriptive. Whether it's just talking about all kinds of things that happen that will never ever happen again, or it's prescriptive and we should do every single thing the church in Acts did. I think it's a little bit of both. I think we cannot dissect either one from the other, that there is some description of what happened in the early church to, to, to birth the church and other things that we look in and we go, no, we need to be living these things. This is what we need to be doing today. And it may look a little different in, the, in, the, in Eagle River today, but we need to be doing these things. And so what we want to do is take some time here as a church and, and set aside a little bit of time to ask God to give us everything that he has to offer and to make us ready for that. And so a, a few weeks ago, I felt like God was really convicting my heart um, to, to spend some time fasting. And so you guys got to know, I don't do this all the time, right? This isn't like, well, he probably does this every week. I don't. I don't fast consistently in my life. This is something God said to me, like, hey, Brian, I think that you need to take some time starting Pentecost Sunday. And so what I felt like God was convicting me to do, I'm just going to share with you, is to spend 10 days, I'm going to go 10 days on a liquid diet starting tomorrow, um, 10 days on a liquid diet. Uh, and, and, and so here's what fasting is. Fasting is simply to give something up to make space for God to move in your life. Because when you give up something that matters to you, you start to pray a lot, right? Especially when it's food. Because some of you are like, like we talked a couple weeks ago, you're like, I'll give something up. I'll give up, you know, vegetables for, uh, you know, 10 days. Something that you hate, right? That's not going to make you think about God at all. For me, when I don't eat, I, I know it, Right? I know it, and so I'm going to spend 10 days on a, on a liquid diet. Uh, I felt like God convicted me to do that. I'm going to spend 10 days on sort of a social media blackout. I feel like I need that to get off of social media. Somebody else here probably feels that as well. Um, 
I'm going to spend 10 days reading through the book of Acts. So that's just what God is doing in my heart. But here's what I want to do. I want to invite all of you to be a part of this. To spend 10 days asking God to, to show up in ways that we didn't even expect. And I just wonder what might happen if we actually took this seriously. You know, it's pretty easy to leave here and be like, well, I prayed that God would show up in my life, but, you know, off to McDonald's or off to my lunch, off to my life, and I'm just going to go on like, like nothing ever happened. It's another thing to set aside 10 days and say, all right, God, I, I really want this. I am serious about this. I don't know what this might look like for you. Uh, may, I would encourage you to give up food. Um, I know it's going to be hard. Some of you are like, uh-uh, not going to do it. And I get it. I get the resistance. And, and it's going to be hard, and I might be pretty ticked off when I preach next week, so just get ready. I don't know what's coming. I really have no idea. I've never done this before, but I'm doing this because I really believe that God has some things. My wife and I, we've got a few things we've been talking about to, to pray over for these, these 10 days. And we're praying about what's next uh, at ACF Church, some things for us personally in our lives um, that, that, are, that are going on. And, and you might just sit down if, you, if you're married or with some friends, if you want to do it together with some friends, and say, what are the things that you're praying about for these 10 days? How can I be praying for you for these 10 days? This isn't just about me. This is about God doing things in our midst. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that you need to know is if you're here and you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So for 10 days... I want you to expect the Spirit to be at work. Ten days. Ten days. I want you to do it for the rest of your life. Let's start with ten days. That ten days we'd wake up every morning saying, God lives inside of me. He doesn't live in this building. You can't put God in a box. You can't put him in a building. You can't build a nice enough house for God. He lives inside of you. And he wants to work through you for ten days. Once again, you're going to have to start off by asking God to judge your faith because if you're here and you're not authentically a believer in Jesus and you're like, I'm expecting God to move through me and in me, but you're not a believer in Jesus, you've got to start with that and start today asking God to judge your heart and judge your faith. Is my faith real God? I don't want to wait until later to receive God's judgment. So right in the ordinary of your life, right in the changing diapers and, and the, the summer stuff as you're hiking, right at your job when you're sitting at the desk in the staff meeting, right there, that God's Spirit is going to move and be at work in your life. So for 10 days, expect that. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he's saying, I'm going to leave you my helper. You'll have the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you peace, and he's going to bring everything to mind that you need to say and to do. Okay, so for 10 days, I want you to embrace your witness. Embrace your witness. You have people in your life. You have neighbors. You have friends. You have a community all around you, and they need to see God at work in you. And they're waiting for it. And they're wondering, are you for real? So what if for 10 days you just embraced your witness? You embraced that God has put you on this earth as an agent of grace to people who have never received it. And what if for 10 days you just like looked for opportunities to speak about what God has done in your heart? A witness is simply somebody who has seen something. 
So if you're like, Brian, I don't know how to be a witness. I haven't taken any apologetics courses. I feel like I'm a little rusty on my scripture memorization. It's okay. But have you seen something? And maybe, maybe you have not spent much time thinking about this. And you just need to slow down and go, what have I seen God do in my life? What have I seen him do around me? And, and once I know those things, I'm probably going to have opportunities to share those things with my friends. Embrace your witness. I mean, how hard is it to invite somebody to church and say, hey, come, come with me on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you believe this stuff, but that's okay. This is a safe place to ask questions and to wrestle with doubts and fears. How hard is that to do? For many people, it's real hard because we're scared. We don't know what it's going to mean for the relationship. We don't want to be that awkward Christian. But what if for 10 days you were just like, at any opportunity I have, I'm going to just invite people to church. And say, hey, come with me on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. And we're just going to learn about this stuff for 10 days. I love that he says, he will teach you all, all things and bring to remembrance what I've said to you. Don't be afraid. The Spirit brings you peace. And so if you're like, oh, this is it. This is my opportunity. I can start talking about my faith. Don't be afraid. He'll bring to remembrance everything you need to say. I mean, if you just need a little brush up on, I mean, go Google the Romans road. That's a simple way of leading somebody to Jesus. We don't have time to get into that, but just a, a simple tool to lead people to Jesus, to explain what salvation is. Embrace your witness for 10 days. Just be willing to tell your story. Be, just be willing to share with people what God's done in your heart. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So for 10 days, earnestly desire the gifts. Earnestly. So expect the Spirit is at work, right? Expect it. Know that He is. Know that the God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. And because of that, He's at work. He's doing ministry in your life and the lives of others in you and through you. Expect that He's at work. Embrace your witness. Know that there's people around you, and they're not just there to entertain you. They're there as your mission field, as people that desperately need to hear about Jesus, uh, you know. And then for 10 days, actually ask God to give you gifts. And for 10 days, seek the gifts, whatever it may be. You might not have anywhere, uh, any idea of what God's gifts might be. And I feel like there's a whole other series we need to preach about the gifts and things like that. We're just, we're not getting there uh, in this series. Maybe it's coming. But for 10 days saying, God, I know you want to give gifts. And I love that he says, especially that you may prophesy. This is an interesting one. You're like, what does that look like, Brian? Uh, here's what I think. I think in the church today, what prophecy looks like is it looks like somebody knowing the right thing to say at just the right time. I think that's what prophecy looks like. It's simply for somebody to be empowered by God to say just the right thing at just the right time. I, I ask God to empower me with this gift every time I preach. That I'd get up here and something that I speak out to you guys, it would stick, Right? And what's amazing to me is every single week somebody comes up to me and they're like, you've been reading my mail, right? Because something, and it's never one of my points, right? I spend so much time on my points. And you guys never care about my points. It's always some offhanded comment that I throw out in the middle of my message. You're like, that was, I don't know if that was for anybody else, but that was for me. God, God's speaking to me through that. And so maybe that's for you today. There's, there's something that, that God's going to speak to you, but you should desire that gift. That in your relationships, that God would empower you to know exactly what to say. Maybe it's going to be a verse that you're going to, you're going to bring somebody. Hey, I, I just, there's a scripture that comes to mind as I think about what's going on in your life. And, and maybe you're not a Bible believer, but I just, I want to share this scripture with you. 
Maybe it's something that you know to be true about their life, and you're, you're going to just speak this thing about their life. It's a powerful, powerful gift when God is, is working through prophecy. So this is, again, this isn't just telling the future, you know. You think prophecy, you think, here's what's coming. It, this is always to edify and build up the church. So listen, maybe that's a gift God wants to give to you. So here's what we're going to do. We're almost done. Um, we're going to embrace the awkward today. You down with that? Awesome. No, you're not. Uh, it's going to be good. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to pray together, okay? And I want to just come up, I want to talk about a few things we want to pray for. The first thing is this. In alignment with our points here this morning, that we would be able to discern the authenticity of our faith. That's the first thing we need to do. That you would know that you know that you know that your faith is real. And that you would take this stuff seriously because it's real. You wouldn't have to force it. You just know, I believe that God is real. And I'm a little scared. I don't know what this is going to mean in my life, but I, I know it's real. And the next thing is this, that the unchurched and the dechurched would see Jesus when they encounter us. That we would embrace our witness in such a way that when people think of ACF Church, they would think of people who truly believe in God, which is amazing. Uh, what if when people saw you, they just encountered Jesus, that their eyes were directed to heaven? That, that's, that's what we want to pray this week. And the third thing is this, that we would reject apathy and thirst to be used by God. That if there's any little part of you who is like, uh, Brian, back to that whole escaping through the flames thing, how do I do that? How do I get back to that thing? That you would reject that part uh, of your heart. And you'd say, no, no, that's, that's not what somebody says when they've been saved from so much. What somebody says when they've been saved from so much is how faithful can I be? And how can I use every square inch of what God has given me? And how can I be utilized by God to be hope to the hopeless and, and help to the hurting? And how can I be that in this community through the power of God? And that you would thirst and you would ask and you would seek and you would knock and you would reach out to God and you would say, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm asking for it every day. Just empower me, use me. And I, you guys, listen, I just think what if a thousand people do this this week? We spend 10 days. I, I'm just amazed at, at this opportunity, and I think God's going to do some cool things in our midst. So here's the awkward. You're like, that wasn't that awkward. Here's the awkward. Um, we don't often pray together. Some of you are very uncomfortable praying, but what I want you to do is I'm going to have you get into groups of like three to four people. Um, don't just wait for somebody to grab you. I want you, you to assert yourself and jump in with a couple other people, and I want you to spend the next three minutes praying for these things. And I'm going to close this in just a minute. So I know it's going to be weird in this room. The room's not set up for it. You can stand up. You can move around. You can move chairs. Sorry, first impressions team. You can do whatever you want to do. But listen, I feel like, I feel very convicted today that we should stop and we should pray together. And if you're a little uncomfortable with this and maybe you're not even a Christian, you can just sit there and, and just ask God to speak to you, whatever that looks like. But would you guys just do that real quick and we'll call you back in just a second. Split up and let's pray together. We live in a community full of the hurting God. And uh, as much as we are excited to go to Mexico and build houses for those who have needs physically, um, God, I feel like we're in a community full of people who have many of their physical needs met, but spiritually they are hurting. Um, God, they're dealing with marriages that are broken and falling apart. Um, God, there's just depression run rampant. In our, in our city and in our state. Um, God, people are seeking a sense of purpose and meaning in all kinds of unhealthy addictions and behaviors. Um, there's loneliness. 
There are physical ailments that um, cannot be healed by any amount of money. And so, God, because of all of that, we just know that, that the harvest is plentiful, that, that we are in a city full of people who desperately need to understand that there is hope in Jesus and that there is something better coming, better than anything we see around us. And that every broken, messed up, wrong thing that we see in the world one day will be made right. And God, that there is a Father who loves them, a better Father, a loving Father, a perfect Father, better better than anyone we've ever interacted with. So God, may we be your hands and feet. Um, God, may we reject fear and apathy and selfishness. And God, may we take hold of our calling, every single one of us, God, to be agents of grace in this community. Uh, Show us what to say and when to say it. Uh, Give us the resources we need. Give us the willingness that we don't have. Uh, God, I pray this wouldn't be another thing to do. This wouldn't be a chore. Uh, God, but we would be so grateful that that we, uh, as, as sinful, broken people, would be used by a holy God to bring anyone from death into life. Father, that is an honor. So may we embrace our honor. And God, as we worship you in the next few moments, I pray you just uh, allow us to, to shed off our fear and our insecurity and to take hold of all of what you want to do through your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.